is uh, Fesha Pliqueta. This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. I am, of course, your uh, just venerable, at this point, fourth choice host with the most, uh, Nick, joined by Abdullah and Jesse yet again to break down Chelsea's 3-1 win over Brighton. Uh, this is obviously the Chelsea women's team. They are... Uh, on a good bit of form, you could say, right now. And and look, there's a lot going on. The the women are playing a lot of matches right now. So what we what we missed uh, during the midweek was Chelsea in a bit of a, a bit of a slog, winning four nil uh, over Birmingham in the uh, in last year's edition of the FA Cup. Reminder: that's the 2020 2021 FA Cup uh, quarterfinals, and then. And the least surprising news ever, Jesse, uh, were joined uh, in, in the semifinals against a familiar foe. Maybe it's uh, Manchester City. Yeah, so classic. Love this tweet from um, Tom Gary. Um, starting to think these great rivals of the modern era of the English women's game, Chelsea and City, are never going to meet in a cup final. Seven seasons at the top, and we've still not met in one because we always play them in the semifinal. Yeah, but right now, it's, it's always... I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, on current form, what a delight! Thank, thank you to uh, you know the always on point um, uh, FA Cup draw uh, for for nailing that for us. But but yeah, I mean th- this was just quickly a midweek kind of slog, lots of changes. Emma had to make some subs to to get it over the line, but ended up being pretty comfortable in the end. However, that's not the point of today's show because the past is behind us. We are thinking about Chelsea three, Brighton one. Uh, we had a good win over Brighton. Uh, there were a lot of missed chances. We're, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the midfield. We're going to talk about VAR because, frankly, at this point, it's kind of getting ridiculous. And then we're going to talk about uh, whether the team can put together the perfect 90-minute performance. I think that's a really good question for a team like this. Not a ton of three-word match reviews. Admittedly, I missed the boat on this one, so yell at me, tweet at me, at Nick Verlaney. Uh, I have plenty of mentions, so... Go for it. Um, maybe I'll respond. Who knows? Uh, but we did get one from kind of Zagina uh, talking about 3-1 CFC. Both the men's and women's team won 3-1 uh, on, on Saturday within hours of each other. So that was kind of a cool bit of symmetry. Uh, but we're going to get into our three-word match reviews. And we're going to start off with, uh, look, all of these are, are kind of targeted at one player. But we're going to start off with uh, Jesse. Yeah, so I went with, I'm very pleased with this pun. I was trying to think for a while on this, but I kept coming up with stuff that was longer than three words. So I went with Wrighton past wrongs. You know, last season, Brighton came uh, to Kings Meadow and won. Felt like we got revenge today. Yesterday. Yesterday, today, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're recording this uh, before you listen to it on a Tuesday, as you guys know. Abdullah. Uh, go with yours, please. Yeah, I, I don't think you can top uh, Jesse's. That's uh, I love the the double conundrum of the last season's loss and you know Wrighton. But I mean, for me, it's Wrighton, Wrighton, Wrighton. I mean, it's the game was just all about girl, right? And she was a class act, and um, pretty much was the uh, you know was the catalyst of anything that this team did well going forward. And then I went with something a little more rhymey, you know, because uh, that's that's what I want to do. Uh, Wrighton beats Brighton. Just has to be said. I mean, they they, they made a strategic decision to uh, to focus on our attacking trident, and uh, 
And look, they paid the price for it. Uh, so uh, we're going to dive into to the match details here and really get involved. Of course, we play Brighton Hove Albion at Kings Meadow on Saturday, October 2nd. Uh, this was a 3-1 scoreline with goals from Girl Wrighton, <laughs> Sam Kerr, and Beth England. Um, and so, look, uh, pretty easy lineup here to get through, Abdullah, but please go through uh, the kind of core uh, protagonist for Chelsea. Of course. So, as always, got Ann Kaschenberger in goal. Uh, we've got the same back three that's been starting the last couple of games. So, Millie Bright and Magda Eriksson out wide with Jess Carter through the middle. Um, you know, midfield four is basically where we've seen some changes. Aaron Cuthbert comes back in at right wing back. We've got the same double pivot of uh, Ingle and Leipolds and, you know, Gura right and continuing her streak at left wing back. And then obviously the trio, the Trident front three of Kirby Kerr and Panetta Hada on the other side. Um, you know, Brighton Hove Albion going in, trying to match Chelsea's system, also playing three at the back. Uh, so they had Gibbons, Williams and Kurjic. Kurjic, I've said that correctly, with the... Uh, Burke Dyke, I think is how it's Kurdike, Kurdike, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, and Walsh in goal. And in a midfield five of Maya Letizia and Essa Cogman, Green, Connolly, and uh, Koi Visto, uh, Whelan, and Daniel Carter uh, up front for uh, for Brighton. So trying to match up uh, Chelsea in midfield and trying to see if they could, you know, you know block off those central areas. <laughs> The commentary was obsessed, uh, at least in the States, Jesse, with the Carter v. Carter matchup <laughs> that was that was taking place. I was like, all right, guys, too easy. Go through, uh, Jesse, go through the stats and, and maybe tell us where it went right and wrong for Chelsea. Yeah, so, you know, possession, Chelsea pretty comfortably won out on that. 62% to Brighton's 38%. Uh, 18 shots from Chelsea, but maybe technically only six on target. I think that, you know, kind of tells a, a little bit the story there. Brighton with five, uh, two of those on target. Um, Chelsea's passing percentage, nice and high, 80%. So Brighton, 60%. Um, corners, uh, honours were even for each. Two offsides for Chelsea to one for Brighton. Um, what else kind of stands out? Ten fouls committed by Chelsea with two yellow cards compared to Brighton seven and only one yellow card for them. But I think, again, that kind of maybe touches on something we're going to get into a little bit later. But also, interestingly, um, expected goals, uh, Chelsea got 1.93 and Brighton got 0.31. So, you know, we've touched on, you know, maybe talking about what our attack looked like, but still out outperforming the XG. So, you know, can't be too downhearted. Yeah, outperforming the XG. But as I was thinking about it, some of the misses I would have thought would have been higher XG chances. We had a handful of just kind of tough misses yesterday and I was I was kind of surprised it was under two to be honest with you but either way that that's kind of the 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 tail of the tape as it were uh we're going to go into a quick ad break before we break down every uh inch of this game and in, in great detail and uh just a couple of reminders that of course this is coming out on the Tuesday uh we will be out consistently every single week and you know, perhaps have some some interesting branding announcements soon, which will be good. Uh, please go and rate review on Apple Podcasts if you can uh, and maybe give a shout out to one of my two venerable co-hosts here uh, about their takes. Or uh, you can just make fun of me still if you want. We're getting some of those. And then if you do want a Chelsea women's community uh, that is outside of uh, the negativity of Twitter, perhaps consider joining us on Patreon because we have a great uh, thread in Discord about Chelsea women. So. 
Those are the reminders. Uh, we're going to take a quick ad break. Thanks to the sponsors for supporting the show. And we'll be right back. Okay, look, uh, we got to start off with uh, something that I think is kind of, of cool, Jesse. Uh, Mason Mount, uh, not a not a person that we discuss on this show regularly uh, for obvious reasons, uh, but the man could do no wrong right now, uh, just obviously is in the mixer for all things Chelsea. Yeah, and um, came out with this lovely thing on, he did a thing on Football Focus on the BBC here in the UK where he was asked questions by kids and he was asked, you know, what he thinks of women's football and revealed that, you know, he loves watching Chelsea women and watched the the 6-1 win over United last weekend and just, uh, you know... It's one of those funny things because you're like, in some ways it's the bare minimum, but so few men's footballers do come out and talk about that. And, you know, it just feels so classic Mace. He's obviously such a lovely guy. And, you know, we just love to see the the two teams like bonding together. Yeah. And I think that's a club, like it seemed like a club initiative over the last like handful of seasons that, you know, they're, they're doing more social media shout outs to each other, you know, between the, you know, kind of the men's and women's accounts. They're, uh, you know, consistently going, you know, to each other's games, which is good. Uh, you know, I always think back to to John Terry and just the support he gave every level of the football club when he was at Chelsea. I think you're going to see a Mason Mount, you know, potentially end up doing that. And hopefully, you know, it, it, it begins to go the other way as well, where we get more of the women's teams players featured for, you know, supporting the other side of the aisle as well. Right. Because I just don't think that's a point of view that's regularly cast out in some of the news. So hopefully they, they bring more of that type of commentary into it as well. But anyway, just a nice touch from a really nice guy. Um, look, we got to talk about the attack here. Chelsea won pretty comfortably in the end three, one, but, uh, it's something that I noticed in my notes, Abdullah, and it's something that I think uh, you've uh, left on on the chances that we missed. Uh, let's let's uh, dive into uh, maybe Chelsea's uh, inadequacy in front of goal yesterday. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think that's the one thing. You know, I, I don't think we ever paid too much attention to that in in the last few games, and and probably I don't even think last season it was too much of a talk about you know, too many missed chances and their clinicalness in front of goal because we saw so much goal output from the front three. You know, they were in double digits, uh, you know, in terms of the goal scored and and whatnot. So it, it wasn't really a, a thing to talk about. But I feel like this game has probably started to highlight maybe some of the chances that Chelsea seemed to create, but then the ones that maybe they're not finishing. And I think that that's where I think if we think back to when Emma Hayes, um, you know, brings up, but, you know, she always talks about the attack being, it's good, it could be better. And, you know, we think, well, they've scored four goals. Why, why is she saying that? Or they've scored three goals. Why is she saying that? And then now I think there's an understanding of the amount of chances that were created, yes, you know, uh, yesterday. Um, but they just weren't able to finish them. I mean, there were chances that someone like a Kerr or a Kirby or a Harder would finish in their sleep, but they just weren't able to do it. And, you know, the amount of, you know, uh, Nick, you talked about it uh, when we were, you know, earlier today, we right and left a lot of space in between the lines and that, you know, the, the three of them were able to capitalize and run into them. And the problem was, was that when a Panela Harder played a through ball into the, into the box, just either Kerr or Kirby could not finish for whatever reason. It just, for some reason, they were like, well, I, I don't know what it was, but I think that's something to be wary about, you know, and, and, and think about, I mean, if you think, if you look at it, 
Brighton had one shot in the entirety of the first half, and in less than three minutes, they pulled the goal back, and that just shows the importance of finishing your chances because it just takes one moment, one shot for, for a team who's been sitting at the back for the majority of the 45 minutes to come in and just equal the game, and suddenly you've got this pressure on you to, to, to have to go and win the game. The other team is just like, all right, we've done it. We can just sit back and and just soak up this pressure, and, and the pressure's not on us to, to con- you know, score. So to me, that's that's where you know where I think we may need to pay more attention and, and just kind of watch out about these missed chances because against Wolfsburg or any other top European side or or, or, a, or an Arsenal later in the season, that's that's going to cost. That's going to cost the team. You know, we can't it can't afford to have these missed chances going begging. Yeah, I mean, I I looked at some of the obvious ones uh, yesterday, Jesse and Sam Kerr, obviously not necessarily as sharp as she would have been. Fran uncharacteristically off a little bit harder, not really getting a ton uh, in front of goal, but skied one uh, in, in the second half. What, what do you think's going on? I mean, maybe I'm just being too chill here, but I kind of think it's just one of those <laughs> things that happen. Like literally yesterday, the game was like really early on in the morning, much earlier than games normally are. It was raining. It was cold. We know Sam Kerr doesn't like the rain or the cold. And I just kind of felt like, yeah, stuff wasn't really clicking, but it didn't really feel like worrying to me. And I felt like the chances that were being created were a lot better in their attacking build-up play than some of the stuff we've seen in past weeks. So for me, it felt like there was kind of some improvement there, even though the finishing wasn't great. And some stuff, obviously, players got into each other's heads like Kerr has like two one-on-ones right and the first time she goes through on goal and she shoots and she misses so the second time she tries to square it to Kirby and Kirby's not there so you know I feel like in those situations it's like very game state based on what's already gone on so personally I think you know Chelsea are normally very very clinical and that's like really benefited them in the past especially in the the Champions League run last season but for me, I feel like it kind of just seemed like one of those days and it wasn't a huge worry because even when Brighton scored, it never really felt like they were super going to get back into the game. Yeah, I don't think so either. And I think to be fair to the team, you know, the still scoring three goals in a match is, is nothing to sneeze at, right? I mean, this is, it's still a quality output. I think there, there might just be some doubt creeping into you know supporters' minds about the the clinicality of the team though, and whether they are capable uh, of putting together that kind of perfect performance like they did a couple of times last year. Uh, I, I will say, you know, if it, we have to touch on on Fran, um, who despite not having her best day in front of goal, still had a hat trick of assists um, and you know, to to three different players as well. Um, I guess, uh, Jesse, let's let's touch on on Fran and just understanding that uh, she she seemed to be the the choice for player of the match, although I disagree with that, frankly, but um, maybe touch on her and her performance. Yeah, I think what she just did really well was it felt like she just distributed the ball in lots of different ways, you know, and it didn't feel like she got necessarily like frustrated by what was maybe going on in front of goal you know I do think she's a player who's very good at despite looking frustrated on the pitch a lot of the time when she doesn't she's not up to her standards you know like the way she reacted after some of those misses it's so you know classic her the standards she keeps for herself but it never feels like it actually makes her flappy in her place she still 
takes great decisions. And, you know, that ball, especially for Kerr's goal, the way she just drops it onto Sam Kerr's head. So there's almost, you you know, there's no way that she can then miss from, from that kind of, from that kind of situation. And yeah, the, the stats that came up uh, top for passes into the final third, um, top for open play chances created for, and, and then obviously the three assists. And she's now got more goal contributions than anyone else in the WSL this year, two goals, five assists. So, you know, it's really interesting because I wrote a piece this week on her 50 goals for the WSL. And, you know, last year she outperformed her XG by like, an absolute ridiculous amount. She outperformed it by more than any player had ever done in the WSL. So there was a part of me this season was I was like, maybe we'll see, and maybe this fits into actually the the conversation that that we're having about finishing. You know, maybe we will see a, like a slight regression to the mean. She's not someone who normally does that, but it just feels like she's totally on on fire, even if it's not actually putting the balls in the back of the net still. Yeah, and, and I think that was something I, I noticed too. Like as frustrated as she was, Abdullah, with her finishing in front of goal, and I I've, I think back to the header that she glanced wide. She was cl- visibly frustrated with herself uh, for for missing that chance. She still found a way to be a really positive contributor in, in yesterday's game, and obviously get Chelsea uh, across the line. So is is that kind of the key here? Is like even if you're even if you're having a bad day, just figure out, you know, or I say bad day in quotes, she still had three assists. So what am I talking about? But even if I'm not finishing my chances, I'm still going to figure out a way to contribute. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think I remember if I'm not wrong, uh, I think she came out and said that she prefers to celebrate. She prefers assists more than scoring. She loves creating goals uh, for the team. And I think she said that she celebrates assists and, yeah, you know, on, on the Bryson game, she was like, you know what, even though I couldn't score, my first instinct was to find my teammates and try and get them to play them. And, and you know, she ended up with three assists. So, you know, in some cases, it's from from her from her words, it seems like she's one to kind of look for the other players first more than she is to score, which I think then goes back to Jesse's points on her outperforming her next year. It'll come back down because if she's saying that and she wants to be the playmaker more than the actual finisher and maybe let Panela Harder and Sam Kerr do that that role, then um then I think we might see that. And then who knows, maybe we'll see her XA expected assist go up you know with that and that, that might compensate the other way up seeing we'll see those numbers go up the season just based on that. But you know the fact that she's uh she's 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 more happy in a sense to contribute assist than she is goals, then I guess uh then I guess it's in and, and just kind of go on the point again. She's top goal contribution, with, and, and that includes five assists already in the in the season. So, I mean, it just kind of everything just kind of goes with what we've been what we're hearing. Any any other notes on either Kerr or or Kirby that you guys want to touch on before we get to Panola Harder? Oh, I just wanted to throw in this stat Opta put out. Um, uh, Eleven of Sam's twenty-seven goals have been headers. So she's now third all time for headed goals in the competition behind Rachel Williams and and Beth England. So, you know, I think it's funny as well when she scored that header. I really think she's a player who sometimes benefits from not having too long to think about what she's doing. You know, those one on ones, it felt like even when she missed them, I was just like, that's so like classic Sam. Whereas it just feels like if you put her in front of goal, you know, she'll just be really deadly as long as she's not thinking too much about the decision she has to make. She, she, um, is a player that consistently does the hard work to get in the right position. And then oftentimes, you know, like we saw yesterday with the one-on-one 
just makes the wrong kind of final choice. And it's like, man, if you could, if you could smash those things together, you'd be, you'd be even more lethal than you already are, which is crazy. That but, sounds like um, a, another attacker that plays for Chelsea. <laughs> now, hold on, <laughs> hold on now. I don't see any parallels to any other players that we possibly root for on a week to week basis. So let's just write that straight out of the script. Um, per- perhaps you've heard us talk about it on the other show. Um, many many times <laughs> so um yeah so that that pretty much sums that up um let's shift over uh to abdullah's favorite talking point and that's pernilla harder i was hard on her yesterday in my analysis uh um because i i just i didn't think that she was very sharp yesterday and i know that she does a lot of hard work off the ball and maybe i wasn't valuing that as high as her work on the ball. But I, I personally thought that it was, it was kind of a difficult day for her. Uh, it seemed to me as if uh, Brighton kind of overloaded her and kind of boxed her in on, on many different occasions and in, in the attacking third. And that her first touch was, was really heavy yesterday for me, um, which is not what you're used to with a player of that, of that caliber. So I guess Abdullah, you had a, a slightly rosier take um, than, than I did, but I, I wanted to to kind of at least provide that that balanced perspective on Harder. Yeah, no, I, I I I see. Yeah, I kind of agree, and I think to kind of to your kind of to your point, uh, kind of to your point, the fact that Brighton played three five two and overloaded the, the three in midfield, I think was to counteract the Panilla Harder dropping in as a number ten and. Kind of dictating play from uh, from deep because usually when she's up against a double pivot she's able to control the play and run between the lines. But you know, um, I think the idea of playing a three in midfield was the fact that um, was the fact that counteract that. Now I can kind of agree maybe there was a little bit too much pressure. But you know, if if this is Penela Harder not totally at it, then you know that's still a pretty high standard because I I, I mean for me I remember a lot of a lot of moments where she did thread a lot of balls through for the front two. So maybe she didn't exactly play her natural game, which was drop in, do a lot of hard work off the ball. But I felt like when she did get a good touch, when she did have space to operate in, she did create a couple of good clear cut chances for the forwards. And I mean, if, if, I mean, you put any one of them away, let's say, for example, if a Kerr puts it away or Kirby puts it away, you kind of then shift the narrative and shift the, you know, it changes what we talk about. Vanilla Harder today, we, we go and say, right, maybe, you know, Brighton counteracted at what point three in midfield, but she still managed to come through with like two assists, you know, for example. So I, th- I think kind of maybe not exactly backtracking what I said earlier and kind of going what Jesse said. I think maybe in Vanilla Harder's case, it was just one of those games where because the front two couldn't finish, she just didn't have the numbers on, you know, she didn't have the stats against the tour and kind of in the overall performance maybe looked a little bit worse for wear where I think you know she I didn't think she had all the space in the world but um she still created a good few chances and uh, you know I'm, I'm not too worried about Vanilla Hada and her performance I guess Jesse do you, do you see that what Brighton did yesterday is an effective strategy against Chelsea's front three and you know you have as a as a opposition team you have to make a choice right who are we going to try and contain? Because containing all three of them, as we've said in the past, is, is nigh on impossible. So we've seen different teams queue in on Kirby or Kerr. And, and obviously, I think Brighton kind of queued in uh, and tried to, to eliminate as much impact from Harder as possible. 
did you think that was more effective, less effective than what we've seen other teams do? I mean, I think it had an effect. And yeah, they were clearly like going in quite physically on harder whenever she had the ball as well. But I think, you know, what we might come on to, I guess, talking about um, Guru Raiten is the problem is, is if you do that, they left so much space for Guru on the left. Um, and it kind of felt like also, I think this is something that, Panila does that often goes unnoticed you know she's a very intelligent reader of the game and at points I felt like you know nominally she's been playing in that kind of left inside forward thing and it felt like that her movement and their tracking of her was also what was helping give right in that extra space on the left and that's something that is really easy to like kind of go unnoticed but it, it felt like by knowing that their attention was on her she was able to kind of start moving them out position and, and that space opened up so uh, in some ways it was effective because Harder didn't, you know, get an assist or score. Um, but on the other hand, you know, Guru Wrighton like had a great impact on the game and, and did really well there. So swings and roundabouts, I guess. And I think to your point on the, on the savvy, you know, savviness of her play, to me, the, one of the moments of the game was early on when uh, she made a, you know, from a throw-in, made a run that Aaron Cuthbert saw brilliantly led her with an NFL style you know, throw in uh, right to the end zone. And of course uh, she makes the right play over to, to Kirby who plays it into writing for the first goal. And it's that kind of, it's the little stuff like you were just saying that can make a huge difference in a season uh, that is going to likely be kind of a two horse race now, uh, which we'll talk about later in the table uh, between Chelsea and Arsenal you know, th those little moves, things to open up little amounts of space. And the fact that the team is so in sync, you know, Cuthbert sees her and goes, oh, yeah, that's what I need to do. Bam. Like, let her go running behind, I think is is a, is a good thing. So maybe I'm maybe I've been a little too harsh on her performance, but um, we've certainly seen her uh, more at the races than yesterday, for sure. Um, let's see. What else are we getting into? Perhaps some quotes. Uh, from one Emma Hayes, who was nigh on uh, just 0% pleased with, with last week's 6-1 win. So how bad was was the commentary today? Um, she says, I thought we did well in the first half. I thought we played outside of their block and made it difficult. I think Brighton will take points off a lot of teams this year, and I thought they were really well organized. Uh, this year they've got more about them going forward. So they aren't the, the kind of just defensive block and, and counterattack team that they were last year. Uh, we were comfortable at halftime, but we're still in the changing room for the first 10 minutes after kickoff in the second half. It was a poor goal to concede. I hate poor goals, and so do the team. Maybe let's talk about that as a, as a point of reference here. I mean, Chelsea did not look uh, good to start the second half. Um, they were very much in the, in the changing room, as Emma said. And the goal was just extraordinarily sloppy uh, to give up from a throw-in ball gets kind of bounced around a little bit. There's no one marking uh, Carter in the box and she kind of dribbles one over the line. And it was, you know, uh, Jesse, I'm looking at you because you have a smirk on your face here. Like this is a, it's just a poor goal. There's no other way to say it, right? It is just a really bad way to concede. Yeah, it, it was really poor and it was just totally switching off. And, you know, I think there are a couple of moments where, Jess Carter was on Dan Carter and kind of let her get away from her. My big concern was that Jess Carter's um, hair, which is quite like long and goes over her eyes, was getting rained on and she kept like trying to 
wipe the rainwater out of her eyes and I was sitting there watching and I was like, Dan Carter's making runs and you can't see. Like, someone get this girl some goggles. Um, can, can we get her a hairband, please? Yeah. Can someone... I was, like, ready to get out from the press box. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and it, it was another one of those. It was, a, it was a very good finish from Dan Carter and, you know, Chelsea have been uh, hurt by Dan Carter before, so I'm sure that was a bit bitter for Emma Hayes too. Um but yeah, it's frustrating because it's the kind of second week in a row that Chelsea have racked up the goals, so it hasn't mattered. But conceding those goals when there has been the concerns about the defence, when you are going to the Champions League fixtures, is just really not what you want to see because it just makes you feel like if you're switching off in those moments and, you know, the 10 minutes after that goal, it really re- required, you know, an anne Catherine Berger special where she like lies down and pretends she's injured to calm everyone down and Sam Kerr then yelling at everyone to like sort their heads out and then you know everyone like kind of got back to it but again it was just that same kind of wobble that we do keep seeing which which is a bit of a worry yeah one thing i did want to to call out from emma's comment she said i thought we stayed calm and no one panicked ish uh the, the impact from the bench has again made the difference i think we deserved to win the game we missed a hat full of chances i said to beth England before she went on that there was an area I thought she could exploit and she did she took her goals so well and she had great energy great for her confidence I think she really needed that especially after the midweek uh FA Cup match where she missed a penalty and has not really featured a ton this season in a role that you know would be reminiscent of of when she was player of the season a couple years ago this did seem like a big moment for her Abdullah uh, and and one that you know, if, if Chelsea are going to challenge on all fronts, you need Beth England to come in and, and lead the line uh, when you have players who are maybe exhausted from all the other matches. 100%. And, and we know how much a quality, you know, in this case, I would have to say a backup center forward would be considering the once you get into the latter stages, injuries could play a part. You know, there's a group stage now, which means there are just even more games being piled up, you know, in the Champions League. So having maybe last season, the season before, you didn't need such a high profile forward sitting on your bench just because of the sheer number of games up until it's a lot smaller. But I think this season, it's going to pay to have a, a strong bench as, as Chelsea's and having someone like Beth England and getting that confidence up, as Emma said, you know, getting that confidence up, getting her to score goals uh, again. I think she can really play a, a big role because, you know, if if it comes down to it, uh, you know, let's just say there is, you know, there's a, there's a knockout game, there's a midweek game, and there's another second leg tie the week after, you know, you're not going to play the same front three for 19 minutes in each game. You're going to have to make some changes. And if you've got a, a fresh uh, and kind of, you know, uh, Bethingman, who's been playing and is and it's not like it's not cold uh, in a sense. Then it's nothing like it. And like you said, not to forget, a couple of years ago she was like second highest goal scorer in the league with fourteen goals. She was a player of the season. She was the one that romped Chelsea to the title in the COVID, you know, the COVID one. Um, if it wasn't for her goals, we, I mean, I mean, if I remember correctly, she was the one who who got the goal against City at the last game to draw the game for for Chelsea. I mean, you would take those out of the equation, City go and win that, you know, win the league if she doesn't score that goal. So, I think I think she's still got a huge role to play, and and I'm glad this year get into the goals and get back into the rhythm because she's got a lot to offer. And if anybody does take her say next season, then they've got a very very good centre forward with. Them. Uh, all right, let's transition over to the midfield. Um, again, 
you know, we saw Ingle and, and Leupold's, uh in, in kind of the pl- the pivot role. Uh, I guess uh, Abdul, I'll pass it back to you here. Uh, what, what are your what are your kind of initial takes on this, and and then we'll get Jesse's perspective as well. You know, I I'm it's it's it looks good. I think I think initial thoughts again are this. It, it, it's a very and and I and I mean this in a positive way. It's a very safe pairing. They're not going to be too flashy. They're not gonna. They're not gonna go and do anything extravagant that I'd say a G would do in terms of creativity and being able to, you know, vision and things like that. Which I guess in some games you need and 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 it will be required. Um, but I think in most games, if you're going into a Wolfsburg, for example, midweek, I feel very comfortable with with this with this duo because it allows someone like a guru right and that left wing back to really just push forward and not have to worry too much about her defensive positioning and. And, and, and worry about having to defend as much as she is to attack. And if and, and what I like about the two of them in midfield is they're both very, very good ball controllers. I think with the ball on their feet, they're very good at controlling the ball and their positioning, I think, is 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 probably their best asset because when you know where to be and when to anticipate where balls are going to go, you, you know how to then defend that way without having to be a very aggressive uh, destroyer type player. So for me, I think um, it's 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 interesting. And one of the things that I think I noticed, um, I, I think you guys did as well, was it was almost like role reversal. Leupold seemed to be the one going deeper and Ingle was the one pushing forward. I think it was the last season, it's not the season before. I have noticed this happen before where I think it was the Community Shield game uh, against City where when they play G Leupold's and Ingle in midfield. And what would happen is, is G and Leupold's would drop deep to collect possession but then uh, Ingle would be the one who's furthest forward. And, you know, I was talking to somebody about it and I was like, why is she doing this? Because you'd think that it would be G up front and it'd be Ingle dropping in, into the double pivot. But one of the things that we noticed in that game and other games was that by playing, by, by Ingle being so high up the pitch, she almost acts as this decoy marker because teams are like, wait, why are you here? We're almost like we're going to have to mark you, but at the same time, we don't know if we're going to mark you. And then they kind of put somebody there and then you have a late run from one of the, one of the deeper players to kind of coming in behind. So it's almost like a decoy sort of like, okay, I'm just going to be there to be a decoy and drop and pull players out of position. So that was kind of a little bit of the tactical thinking that I think was behind it. But um, uh, that's, that's just my theory. But I mean, I'd, I'd be keen to see what you guys think about the duo and, and her role. Jesse? Yeah, I think I I agree with a lot of what Abdul has just said. It definitely feels like a safe pair of hands. Um, the stuff with Ingle switching forward, yeah, I've noticed it a lot too. I think my only worry is I actually think it's kind of like a rotational thing. And sometimes I feel like maybe if Lowports and Ingle aren't in perfect sync, it leaves space in behind if one of them goes and the other one kind of goes. I think you definitely kind of saw that a bit in the United game. But I think Ingle is can often be a more aggressive presser than Leupold. So I feel like sometimes Emma likes to see her join the, that press up top. But yeah, I think, you know, safe pair of hands is, is exactly the way to describe it. They're two, you know, very experienced players um, who are just very sensible a lot of the time. I think my only worry is, you know, I think both of them have a mistake in them still. And, we, and we've seen that both of them have got flappy at points before. And I think in an ideal world, that that isn't really what you'd want. But, you know, I'm, I still want to see Jesse Fleming there. But 
Who knows when we'll get that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, we, we mentioned G a couple of times here, and I think it's a it's a point of reference that we should talk about. No G in the squad. Um, I don't know if she's injured or if it's just a tactical choice from from Emma. Is, is there something here, Jesse, that you think is is up, or is this a is this simply an injury and that is it? No, I yeah, I think it's just a knock. She came back later than everyone else from international break, so she was on the bench for the United game, and I I just think there's there's no reason for her not to be on the bench. So yeah, I think she must have just picked up a knock this week. I I think it'll be interesting to see whether once. G's back fit, rested from international break. We we see we go back to that G Lloyd Potts duo because, you know, obviously that was Emma's preference at the start of the season. So who knows? Uh well, we've delayed long enough here. Uh we have to talk about the wing backs. We have to talk about Girl Wrighton in particular because uh she was I think all of our player of the match. Um so why why not at thirty seven minutes into the show? Um, I, I think she had the flexibility yesterday, Abdullah, to get into advanced spaces just because of, of what we talked about with kind of uh, Brighton over-indexing on, on stopping Pernilla Harder uh, potentially. And so there was a lot more room for her to run in behind. But even then, she had herself a day. I mean, she was just on point with her passing, with her movement. Um, it seemed to me as if she had a, a far better understanding in this game of when to get forward. Uh, and when to kind of hold back a little bit. Uh, so maybe just a quick assessment on on Garo's day. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think she just, I think she's finally, and this almost like the coming out game of finally understanding how to play as a left wing back. It's almost like when you, when you practice something so much and you finally just get it and it's the first time you've nailed it. I think that was, this is Guru Wrighton's moment. And, you know, Marco, Marcus Alonso vibes here uh, with the goal, with the advanced positioning, getting it at the end of the box. You know, it's it's it, it was it was very much. I was like, wow, like she she was just all over the place. She caused their their, their fullback and wingback so many problems, and and it, it was like she just knew when she had to go up, when she could get into box, when she could stay back, when she had to cross the ball. It was almost like the perfect game for for Gurrighton and to get a goal and an assist and and kind of just be all round, just be there. I think it was was um, was there. And I, I mean, now you really got to think about it and say, does Jonah Anderson, Jordan Fox, or anybody else, Neem Charles, get back into the side as a left wing back? That, for me, that that position's pretty much sewn up now, at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I guess J- Jesse, if you were to have a a backup. You know, knowing that, you know, no player could play every single match of the season or very few can. Those, those people are not human in my eyes. But um, if if you had to have a backup for her, just knowing how she plays and is it someone that does something different than her, like John Anderson? Or is it someone who stays in that attack first mentality um, and, and helps the team on the left wing? I don't know. The thing that I find a bit weird about it is the criticism of Jonna Anderson has always been that she's a bit too attacking and isn't very good defensively. So in some ways it feels like Emma Hayes has said, okay, you know, Double down. scrap that. Uh, let's just go full attack. You know, Jonna Anderson isn't good enough defensively, so we'll just play a winger there because we'll just have a higher attacking ceiling. Sure. <laughs> and right now it's working. Um, Wolfsburg could be interesting. I'm waiting to see right and get properly tested on that side you know I guess the Arsenal game is like the best comparison but lots of stuff went more down the right for them for whatever reason 
Um, so yeah, I mean, she's so writing is so fast. I feel like I'd never realized this until I was watching her run get in the game, and I was like, she just goes. Um, yeah, it, it was a great game for her, and you know, I, I tweeted this, but it's kind of amazing the turnaround because. Last season, she barely played at all, having played loads in that season that was, um, you know, curtailed by COVID, looked like she totally nailed down this position. And then you're kind of like looking at her thinking, like, is she going to leave? Like, she's not got any game time at all. And Hayes brings her on in that disastrous Champions League final game, and she's basically stayed in the team ever since. Um, Which, you know, it feels like Hayes you know, in that moment decided she loved Guru and really didn't like Jonna Anderson. Not sure what's gone on there because, you know, I I do think Jonna Anderson is like fine. Um, but, you know, good for Guru at the moment. Yeah, there's no reason to drop her. Um, Not a whole lot to say about Cuthbert yesterday. I don't know if we need to, to dive too deep on that one. Wasn't her best day out uh, on the right wing and I think was replaced by Neem Charles in 65th minute or something like that. So, um, you know, nothing, nothing to really add on that point. But one thing I did want to call out, and it's just something that I thought was absolutely egregious yesterday, uh, was uh, Kirk Dyke's foul in the box on Sam Kerr um, as Chelsea were attacking this was a blatant attempt, at least in my mind, to hurt a player. Um, the ball is on the right wing. The ball is nowhere close to Sam Kerr at all. There is no attempt to make a play on the ball. And Kirk Dyke, because she's slower, just completely barges into Sam, kind of head, neck, shoulder area, um, and just lays her out in the middle of, of an attacking move. And... Uh, if we were if we were in the Premier League, that would be a foul and a penalty. Uh, if if you're looking at VAR um, and probably a three match ban for for violent conduct, I mean, there's nothing here that suggests that there was ever going to be a shoulder to shoulder type challenge. It was completely from behind. So, I, I guess I I need you guys to balance me out here because it made me really angry. Um, it, you know, I think I think there's one thing to be a physical team, right? To play your person one on one to make a strong challenge or whatever. Uh, I think it's another to completely from behind kind of sucker punch someone in a way. And I, and to me, that's, it's unacceptable. And it's why I want VAR uh, to come in as much as I hate it uh, for a thousand reasons in the Premier League that I've already gotten into uh, on Monday's podcast. Uh, I think it's absolutely needed in the women's game to pre- you know, prevent injury like this. And it's crazy. Uh, Jesse, you first. Yeah, I guess I'm interested to, you know, I think for me, I personally find VAR very frustrating in the men's game. And for that reason, I'm just like, I don't care about having it in the women's game as well. I think for me, that what needs to happen is that referees need to be professionalized. Okay, that's not going to pick up everything that happens. But, you know, it just feels like at the moment, everything in the women's game is at a certain level. And refereeing is the obvious thing that's lagging behind. And it's not the ref's fault. They've got to do other jobs. They can't go through the same kind of training, you know, the in-week analysis stuff. Like, that's just not at the same level that we see across most of professional men's football in this country. So, you know, VAR, I think it's frustrating when it, like, stuff happens. I've got to admit, I haven't, like, I didn't notice, like, the challenge properly. It was at the opposite end of the ground to where I was sitting yesterday. So, you know, maybe I'd feel differently if I'd I'd seen it in in proper detail. But I just think, you know, 
the VAR thing, I understand, but it's not going to happen. And for me, the professionalization of the refs is that's that's the ideal. That and goal line technology as well. You know, I feel like they're two like realistic aims. And for now, like VAR, I just find it annoying, and I'm really not bothered about it coming to the women's game as well. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think I think I think to, for the most part, I agree with what Jesse's saying. Just because we know the problems that VAR brings to the overall. Uh, the overall uh, the overall thing uh you know the overall game but i think it's it's the referees i think if we can get the referees professionalized and, and get that standard going up i think i think at least 50% of the decisions automatically get fixed in the women's game because um it, i i mean correct me if i'm wrong either one of you but i feel like the last few weeks we've seen more contentious decisions in terms of handballs or fouls more than we did i think last season uh, overall, I don't know whether that's my feeling or whether that's just been highlighted more now. I don't know. Um, and I feel like if we were to get maybe better center refereeing, maybe fifty percent of those get 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 overturned and you know on the spot and get fixed. And goal line technology, obviously, yes, I would like to see VAR for some of the for some of the things because I feel like that would then clean it up. But then we've seen the issues we've had in the men's game. So unless they can take the lessons learned from the Premier League and other leagues and, and apply it here. You know, I would much rather maybe wait a little bit, get the finished product in a sense, and then bring it over, where at least then it, it becomes a lot cleaner, a lot smoother than, than, than kind of bringing the same iteration and having the same problems as we'd see on a weekly basis on the other side. I, I guess my my final point on this would be the reason why you're seeing more contentious moments is because the league and the teams are getting better. And if the league and the teams are getting better, it becomes more competitive Then a moment like what we saw yesterday can't happen. Like it's, it's just for me, you know, I'm sure there are more realistic challenge, you know, changes that, that will come to bear over the course of the season than just, you know, installing VAR halfway through. I, I understand that point, but it would really be a shame if, you know, for whatever reason, Arsenal had a bad string of, of luck with the referees and we didn't get a proper title challenge. Right. Or if that same happened to Chelsea or if the same hadn't happened to somehow Spurs who keep winning, like, I, you know, I, I don't, it just it is really frustrating. And it's, it's why it was brought in to the men's game because there were so many mistakes happening that cost teams points and, and by proxy, a lot of money um, in, in the process. So I, it just, in, in the name of having more level playing field between the men's and women's games, that's why I want it because there, there are going to be more moments as the teams become more competitive that make a, an extra tool at a referee's disposal that much more important. But I will get off my soapbox and um, we'll deal with that at some point. But uh, I think we want to kind of shift our focus a little bit um, since our standout performer for the day, our, our player of the match would be uh, Girl Ryden. Uh, I think Frank Kirby won the uh, the actual in-game player of the match. So, you know, note that. But I want to talk about Wolfsburg, which is coming up uh, ASAP uh, this week and is the first group stage game of, of our Champions League run. Um, Jesse, let's let's talk about this because it's obviously a team that Chelsea faced in the uh, quarterfinals last year, right? Quarterfinals, right. Yep. So uh, maybe give us a little sneaky preview of what's to come. 
Yeah, Wolfsburg are Chelsea's Man City of the Champions League. Like, they have to play them at some point before a final. Uh, that's how it works. And this year, we're going to play them in a in a brand new group stage. So it's a whole new way to play Wolfsburg. <laughs> um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting game. Um, Wolfsburg had a bit of a surprising two-all draw with uh, Freiburg in the Frauenbundesliga this week. Um, they've recently lost their kind of star striker Eva Payor to, to injury so that's kind of a boost for us um I think you know the the concern going into this game is Wolfsburg are, are still a very good team they're very high level they caused Chelsea a lot of problems in that especially the first leg of that quarterfinal it's like literally a miracle they didn't score about four goals um so I feel like these worries we've had about the ability for Chelsea to kind of sit back and soak up pressure and defend, you know, compactly and tightly, we're going to really see that put to the test on Wednesday night. Um, And I really hope we're going to, like, come out good, but I've got a little bit of a worry um, about how how we we deal with with that. Um, So I think it's going to be a really fascinating game. As I've said before, I think I'm really excited for this Champions League group stage for exactly this reason. This is a great opportunity for Chelsea to test this stuff now in a scenario where realistically um, they should be getting out the group at the very least, you know. Um, So it was going to be a really interesting one, uh, a classic, yeah, Women's Champions League game for us. So looking forward to it. Well, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about uh, Wolfsburg a little bit, Abdullah. I mean, this is obviously one of the powerhouses uh, of, of the Women's Champions League. Uh, we have stolen one of their their key assets in Pernilla Harder over uh, to our team. But they still, I mean, I, I remember both of the, the legs of that quarterfinal last year. It was it was frantic. And, you know, their team possesses a ton of technical quality, um, you know, sometimes in the way they play even more than we did. So, uh, you know, this should be a pretty firm test. 100%. I mean, you just look at some of the names that they've got in in you know in their team and 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 they've got you know uh Shinis van der Sanden former Lyon player you know uh you've got you know Svenja Huth who's been uh, amazing for them Lina Obedorf's a, a fantastic talent you know defensive midfield center back combo Alexandra Pop is is another big one um and then not to mention they've added Jill Vord from Arsenal uh to their team this season uh, you know, and then they got Rebecca, Rebecca Blomqvist, uh, who's also there. And then they've got a couple of young players. They have Pia Sophie Bolter, who's been who's who's out there. So the team is is a mix of you know a lot of experienced players, but a lot of young talent as well. And you know, on any given day, this combination of players can can really cause any team any team trouble. And we've seen how they've caused Chelsea troubles in the last couple of seasons. I mean, let's be real. Like, you know, a couple of decisions and a couple of you know, crosses and passes here and there last season, and Chelsea could have been well beaten by by this Wolfsburg team, and kind of comes back to the whole point of can this team sustain pressure over over ninety minutes? Like, can can they? You know, and, and they fine, they rode their luck last season. Chelsea did, and, and they got through. But you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to have that much luck, and if they don't put away some of the chances um, that they get early on or at some points, then you know, maybe it's it's there, but. Kind of like Jesse said, with Ivo Payor not playing, that's a major threat, you know. And I'm, I think Jess Carter will probably be the most relieved person in the world right now. She doesn't have to face that sort of pace and in and around, and that movement in and around her. So, um, but 
exciting game. And, and listen, if, if they can come through this game uh, and put on a good performance, then I think it bodes well for the future. Well, uh, let's talk about the lineup projections, right? Is this a scenario, Jesse, for you where, you you know, you just run it back and have the same lineup that you played against Brighton? Or is or are there a couple of changes that you would make potentially to, to maybe counteract uh, Wolfsburg's uh, intensity? No, I think for me, this is, you know, the the best team as is. I think it would be risky to drop Guru Wrighton out for, you know, someone like John Anson when she's barely played the season. I don't see that happening. Uh, equally, I think Cuthbert has looked better defensively than Charles at right wing back. So I imagine we'll stick there. And, you know, as we've already said, Ingle and Leupoltz feel like the safe pair of hands. So I really think they, they're kind of the only three positions you'd be kind of looking at changing anyway. So I expect we will just see that that same Brighton team again on Wednesday. Abdullah, you agree? Yeah, hundred percent. I, I don't I don't see um I don't see too much need for change right now considering this this team has been playing well, you know, recently in the last few games. So, you know, I, I would I would just go with it and, and leave leave the trust in this team and see how they do. If they don't perform well, then you see where you need to make changes. But otherwise this team is tried and tested. You just go with it. Awesome. Well, look, uh, we're going to end by taking a quick look at the table, including a a couple of shocks that are involved. Uh, at, at time of recording, United have yet to play Birmingham, so there, there's a uh, a match still to play here. But uh, table as it stands, uh, Arsenal on 12 points. Um, they, they they kind of cruised yesterday uh, against um, they have yesterday Villa, Villa right? Yep. Uh, Tottenham also on 12 points. Explain this to me. I, I do not, I do not understand. Uh, Chelsea on nine points kind of, uh, in third right now, but you would project they would, um, start to move up uh, a little bit. Uh, West Ham shock result over Man City. We have to talk about this. Our, our preseason predictions are up in flames. For, for who's going to win the title, uh, completely gone. Man City have lost three times already this season. Gareth Taylor, I'm fuming. I can't believe I backed him, and this is what he's done to me. I knew it was Sam Mewis. She was running the show last year. I should have known. <laughs> yeah, creds to my Sam. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't even know what I was thinking. I thought maybe maybe he'll turn the leap. Maybe he, he, he learns things tactically over the they summer. They looked good at the he- end of last season. That's what I'm saying, and they and they have arguably they got better players in the summer. If if anything, right? I mean, you just look at the the, the, the squad they assembled. And you think, right? There's no way you can screw this up. You've got to be winning. And then he just goes and proves us wrong. So I mean, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, other than professional embarrassment, I'm happy for Taylor to stay in that job for as long as he wants. Awesome. Okay. Uh, so we've now slated Man City, who are down in ninth place. Ninth place, that is not a typo, on three points with a minus four goal diff. Uh, that is, that's not where you want to be. Uh, the rest of the table kind of shakes out as, as Villa in fifth, Brighton in sixth, United in seventh, obviously having yet played Birmingham, who's in tenth, uh, Everton in eighth, and Leicester City and Reading kind of bringing up the bottom. Uh, with a So our bottom three here are tough, uh, zero points. Uh, Reading with a minus 10 goal differential, Leicester City with a minus nine and Birmingham City with a minus eight, which could obviously get worse as as we record. So 
that's the table. Uh, what what are Tottenham doing, and why is this happening? Does anyone have an answer? I would. This is say the shock. Tottenham are Tottenham have played the four teams who are in the bottom four right now. Okay. So Man enough. City is the surprise, but you know it, it kind of checks out. I don't know. I I'm not convinced we're going to see Tottenham challenge for the Champions League places. Nick, Nick, yeah. Nick, I, I have to let you in on something. So you may not know this, but Rianne Skinner is Jesse's favorite coach in the WSL. I can I can tell you this with solid conviction. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute favorite coach. Oh, uh, Jesse, you want to you want to you want to explain? You care to explain your yeah. love for Rianne Skinner? I bigged up Gareth Taylor and slagged off Rianne Skinner, and they're at opposite ends of the table. So there we go. That's the last time I make preseason predictions. <laughs> Well, look, they're all coming true, as we know. So, uh, look, that that's a match review, guys. We, we've done it. We've achieved it. Um, we've had a few laughs along the way. Uh, we will be we will be back uh, next week. Obviously, we'll have a, a quick recap of the Champions League game and then obviously uh, touch on our upcoming uh, match against Leicester City. OK, so uh, lots lots to go through. Should be a pretty comfortable win for Chelsea. Hopefully, knock on wood, that my predictions aren't terrible as well. Uh, but until next time, Chelsea fans, uh, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.